All right, let's get into our Bibles today. I want you to open up, if you will, to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We're going to continue on where we, where we uh, ended up last week. Um, not too much of a recap because there's so much to get through. Um, and, and I really do want to get through some, some verses here today. So uh, we're going to start off in verse uh, 15. So Matthew 24. And verse 15. If you would, uh, please join me in prayer. Lord God, I need your strength and your help, Lord. Lord, I'm nothing without you, God. I have no understanding of my own outside of your love and your strength. The wisdom that you've given me and poured out into me, God. I I pray that that I could communicate this message to your people here today, Lord. That you would uh, place in my heart the right thing to say, the right words to say, the truth of God as you see it as you've given it, the wisdom from heaven, Lord, that we need to understand. God, help us, Lord. Help us all here understand what you're saying to us, Lord. Give us strength to endure. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm excited. Uh, hey, listen, this is Matthew 24. You know, we, we, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, we're, we're talking about the end times, are we not? Mm. We're talking about future things here, and that's the title of this uh, sermon series that we've been in, in Matthew 24. We're going to go into 25 as well. Um, it'll still be future things. So, um, but it's, it's important for us to know, and I'm going to line out some, some, some reasons, some biblical reasons why these things are important for us to know and what we can glean from the text, and, and, and if we'll listen to God, um, what, what he will do for us. Amen? So we're going to start in verse 15. Let's, let's go with, uh, with the reading here, Matthew 24, 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Wow. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Notice how it says, if possible there, if possible, not possible though. 25, see, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. And if they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Mm. Church, we are urged, we are challenged, we are built up, we are encouraged, we are leaned on by our Lord in his word to be prepared 
by the Scriptures, to be prepared by the Bible. We are to use them, to use this Word, to be trained and to teach, to know the Lord and what we should do. To know the Lord and what we should do. Amen? To know the Lord, the Bible trains us, and to know what we should do, the Bible trains us. Uh, go, uh, listen to, to Psalm 19 and verse 7 through 14. This is a wonderful depiction of the Word of God and how it instructs and what it does for the Christian soul and for the human heart. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It revives, doesn't it? It revives us, this Word of God that we have. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And let me tell you something, before I came to God, before I came to Christ and had any kind of understanding in Christ, I was pretty simple. I was very simple-minded. I didn't understand things. I didn't understand deeply the things of God, but now He has made wise that which is simple. And for you also, Christian, for you also, church, He has made wise those who were once simple. Amen? So if you know the truth about God, then you have the wisdom of God with you. I want you to know that. You say, oh, I'm not smart. Not in, not in and uh, of yourself you aren't. Not, not uh, pertaining to the things of God. Not... But let me tell you something. In Christ, you have wisdom. Amen? In Christ, you have wisdom. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. In verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Anybody want rejoicing in their heart? Anybody? Anybody, this is a time we need rejoicing. Well, the Bible's telling us clearly that this is what the Word of God does for us. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Anybody ever had honey right off the comb? Anybody? We, 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 we're in Texas here, you know what I'm saying? So if you haven't had honey dripping from the comb, you need to get some. That stuff is sweet. There's nothing like it. It's sugary. I remember one of the last things that I did with my grandmother, the last things that I did with my grandmother, my, my, my dad's mom, uh, before she passed away, a couple years later, was um, one of his friends had some beehives and had, had, had some bees, and so he brought over these combs to her. And so we put the combs inside of some pantyhose, and then we strained it out and got all the honey out of it. And so we squeezed those combs, and it was all waxy, and then we chewed on the combs afterward. And it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had in my life, getting to strain honey off the comb with my grandmother and to squeeze that thing through, the, through them pantyhose, man. You know what I'm saying? Still tasted like honey, didn't taste like Hanes, okay? <laughs> All right. <coughs> Excuse me. But also, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. So gold refined, gold refined, the word of God is even more precious. You see that? The word of God is even more precious. In verse 11, moreover by them is your servant warned, okay, now, this is speaking to us in what we're going through. In keeping them, there is great reward. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. We can presume a lot of things in this world, in this life. 
we can presume a lot of things. Because we know one thing or some things, we can presume to know other things. And the psalmist here is saying, keep me from presumptuous sins, from believing what's wrong. Because believing what's wrong is sinful in the sight and the eyes of God. But if we don't presume to know things, if instead we excavate the scriptures and dig into them, we won't be presumptuous about them, will we? We will be wise in understanding them, won't we? That's what we want. All right, uh, that's... um, Okay, verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So this is our aim here, church. This is our aim. And uh, it should not change in the days and weeks ahead. It should always be our aim to understand what God is saying to us. And I'm encouraging you to know what God is saying to you in these verses so that you'll be prepared. Because I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready, ready for what's ahead. And my hope is this, that by you being prepared, that you will also prepare your families as you go and as you learn. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says something else about the scripture and how good it is. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. They make us ready. Amen? This scripture of God makes us ready. The church, the church of our Lord needs to be prepared. Therefore, not left behind. So prepared and therefore not left behind, but taken to be with our Lord in glory when the time comes. Amen? And it is through the pouring out of the Scriptures, the truth of God, that we are being prepared. This Bible informs us. It gets us ready. They bear witness about Him, and they teach of Him, the Bible does, the Scriptures do, but they also point to the importance of knowing the times in which we live so that we may be prepared and know what to do. Now, when David was being made king, all the, 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 the 12 tribes were coming to him and bringing their men to him. And First Chronicles 12.32 says something pretty incredible about one of the tribes. It says, Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. So of Issachar... Men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think it's wise for you to understand the times that you are in? It is. Uh, It is very wise to understand the times that you're in because we want to be living in reality, don't we? We don't want to be living in the figment of our own imaginations or someone else's imagination and please, by God, not the media's imagination. Amen? Amen. We want to be living in reality. We want to know what's really going on in the world so that we can know what to do, so that we can know what to do and how to respond um, if need be. John 5, 39 and 40 says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So it's not good enough, Jesus says, to search the scriptures it's, enough, it's not enough unless we also know God. So you may hear a lot of times, oh, you know, so-and-so doesn't believe in God, but they really know the Bible. 
I'm going to submit this to you. They don't know the Bible. They do not know. They don't understand it. It takes the understanding of the Holy Spirit himself poured into you for you to be able to understand the scripture of God. Again, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. The scriptures do not give you eternal life, but they bear witness about the one who does give you eternal life. And that is Jesus himself. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's better for us. It's eternally significant, ultimately saving, if we know Jesus Christ, and then we will have the understanding. But here we hear the Lord telling us that these scriptures do bear witness about him. In Acts chapter 8 and 29, verses, uh, 29 through 31, the scripture says this, and you may remember this story. I hope you do. It's, it's a really, really nice one. Um, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join, his, join this chariot. Now the Spirit said to Philip, who's that Spirit, church? The Holy Spirit, right? God himself instructing Philip, giving him these words, giving him this insight and this wisdom. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked... Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now here we see Philip running to the aid of the Ethiopian. You remember this, right? To make sure that he understands what he's reading. And who made him run but the Spirit of God himself. The Spirit himself brings understanding. John 14, 26 says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is speaking here, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. Isn't that amazing? He will teach you all things. You want to know some stuff, church? Depend on the Spirit of God. Lean into the, our Holy God that He would give you understanding through the Holy Spirit. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit instructs us, he, instructs us, he teaches us, and he helps us to remember. He brings those things that Jesus had said into our mind. He makes us remember those things. So when you read the Bible, you may think, man, I'm, I'm not retaining any of this. I'm, I'm just, I'm reading and then I'm forgetting about what I'm reading. Well, let me, let me, let me tell you this. Read the scripture, right? Like read the Bible, read your verses when, when you read them in, in the morning or during the day or whenever it is that you read them. And then pray in response to what you read. If I were to read this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. If I would read that and I would pray in response to that, I would pray that the Lord would make this come true in my life. Amen? That the Holy Spirit would teach me all things. That he would bring to remembrance all the things that Jesus commanded. And then I would think, oh wait, so I needed to know what Jesus commanded if he's bringing to remembrance all these things. So how do I know what Jesus commanded? Well, let me read the Bible and find out. Amen? So it leads us into the Word so that we can know and be breathed on by the breath of God in the Scripture that we can be made wise and built up and edified, sanctified in the church of God for the work of the kingdom of God on this earth. Amen? But why say any of this at all? I say this so that you can be encouraged by the word of our Lord. That you would be encouraged and built up to take the scriptures seriously enough to be informed by them and then to live your life by the standard of Christ that they clearly set out before us. 
The scriptures set out a standard of Christ. They, 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 they shed light. Um, from the light of Christ himself, they shed light on who God is. So if we want to know who God is, and we were in the darkness about that, the scriptures, boom, shed a light on Christ and who he is for the believer. And who brings that into our hearts and who instructs our minds to figure that out? The Holy Spirit himself. God himself. Amen. All right. So where are we at? In Matthew 24, starting in verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, so what is the abomination of desolation? Uh, to know this, we need to know what is abominable to the Lord, what is an abomination to him. And for this, I'm going to go back to Daniel. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So let's, let's understand, readers. Amen? All right. Daniel 11. Let's see what the Lord's referring to here. Let's see what's going on. Daniel 11 and 31 and 32. This is when Daniel talks about, and I really highly encourage you to read the, the book of Daniel um, and, and ask the Lord to instruct you as, as you read it. But here's Daniel 11, 31 and 32, when he brings up the abomination of desolation. In 31, he says, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular, excuse me, the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So this is what Daniel is saying about the abomination of desolation, that it's going to be set up. And there's somebody, going to be somebody who sets it up in the temple of God. And that he's going to seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant so people who are haters of God, people who don't follow God, he's going to flatter them. He's going to flatter them. He's going to tell them, good job. He's going to tell them what a great person they are. He's going to tell them, well, good job, nice going, let's keep it going, and let's instruct more people to do this, to flatter themselves, and more people who desecrate God and desecrate the temple of God and who are haters of God, he's going to flatter them more and more to bring more and more people to himself he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God, church, it is so important for you to know your God, to know him, not to hear about him. That's okay, but then you got to know him. How do we know him? Well, how do we know anybody in this life, church? How do you know anybody? You spend time with them, don't you? You spend time with them. Who do you know? Just think about it like this. Who do you know best? Who do you know best in this life? Who do you know best? I know for some of y'all, you going to be like, oh, I know God the best. Come on now. What person on this earth do you know best? And I guarantee you, it's somebody you spend a lot of time with. It's maybe even the person, perhaps, that you spend the most time with. I would argue that I know myself best of anybody else in this world. But isn't it incredible that there's one who knows me even better than I know myself? And that's God who protects me even from falling away. Amen? Now, 
The word translated abomination, the word, the ancient Hebrew word, because we're reading in Daniel, so this is the Old Testament written in Hebrew, okay, and some in Aramaic, forces from him shall appear and, appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. That word translated abomination is a Hebrew word that's also used and translated and means uh, detestable thing or idol. So what is an abomination to God? An idol. If we even just go back, what's an abomination to God? Well, I don't know, what's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? What is it? We shall have no other God before him, right? Right? No, no other gods. No idols. Right? And then also, next in line is that we shall not take his... Or the, the, listen. The entire Ten Commandments, all of them point to the holiness of God, who he is, how he's set apart from the rest of the human race, and how we look to him for everything. And when we set up idols in our lives, or when there's an idol set up in the place of God in people's lives, then that is an abomination to him. It is abominable, it's detestable to him. And then that abomination makes desolate makes desolate that place or that person that sets up that idol. And what is desolate or desolation? It's void. It's emptiness. It's been left by God. Remember, we talked in Matthew 23 at the end there when he said, see, your house is left to you desolate. Jesus said that to the Israelites, didn't he? Or to the Jewish leaders. Your house is left to you desolate. He's saying that as he's talking about the destruction of the temple that's about to happen. Your house is left to you desolate. Why? Because it was an abomination to him. Why? Because of all of the practices that they were, uh, that were going on there. Because of the, the, the idolatry that was going on there in the hearts of the people that were buying and selling outside of the temple that had made it into a den of thieves. It was abomin- an abomination to him. So this word translated abomination again, detestable thing or idol, abominable thing, abomination, idol or detested thing. Now, there will be an idol set up in the temple that makes it desolate, that brings about emptiness. And we need not emptiness in this world, but to be filled with God. Amen? We need the filling of the Lord, not emptiness. Now, from the time of Daniel until now, in the Scripture, as Jesus speaks, there had already been a time when the Jews had been persecuted by the emperor Antiochus IV Epiphanes, And he was absolutely terrible to everyone. And that even just saying that is so much of an understatement because of what he did. And I went through history. I I read so much history about Antiochus Epiphanes, about Antiochus IV. I read so much history about him and everything that was going on during this time. Because I wanted to really clearly understand what is this abomination? What is this desolation that God talks about? Well, there were a couple of times in history that the Israelite people already had thought that the abomination of desolation had been set up because there had been an abomination set up in the temple. And I want to read some of that to you. And this book is not scripture that I'm going to read from. I'm going to read from 1 Maccabees. It's not scripture, but it's definitely useful for us in understanding the times and the history of the Jewish people. Okay? So let me read this to you. And I want you to listen to this and read along. 1 Maccabees uh, 1, 41 through 64 reads like this. Then the king wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people, and he's talking about Antiochus, and that all should give up their particular customs. All the Gentiles accepted the command of the king, many even from Israel, 
gladly, accept, uh, gladly adopted his religion. They sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. Now, this is stuff that really happened. This is history, okay? This is historical stuff that's being written down and recorded. Verse 44, And the king sent letters by the messengers to Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. He directed them to follow customs strange to the land, to forbid burnt offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings in the sanctuary, to profane Sabbaths and festivals, to defile the sanctuary and the priests, to build altars and sacred precincts and shrines for idols, to sacrifice swine and other unclean animals, and to leave their sons uncircumcised. They were to make themselves abominable by everything unclean and profane, so that they would forget the law and change all the ordinances. He added, and whoever does not obey the command of the king shall die. In such words, he wrote to his whole kingdom. He appointed inspectors over all the people and commanded the towns of Judah to offer sacrifice town by town. Many of the people, everyone who forsook the law, joined them. And they did evil in the land. They drove Israel into hiding in every place of refuge they had. And now on the 15th day of Kislev, in the 145th year... They erected a desolating sacrilege on the altar of burnt offering. You see, they set up this idol. They, uh, they erected a desolating sacrilege on the altar of burnt offering. They also built altars in the surrounding towns of Judah and offered incense at the doors of the houses and in the streets. The books of the law that they found, uh, that they, found they tore to pieces and burned with fire. Anyone found possessing the book of the covenant or anyone who adhered to the law was condemned to death by decree of the king. They kept using violence against Israel, against those who were found month after month in the towns. On the 25th day of the month, they offered sacrifice on the altar that was on top of the altar of burnt offering. According to the decree, they put to death the women who had their children circumcised and their families and those who circumcised them. And they hung the infants from their mother's necks. But many in Israel stood firm and were resolved in their hearts not to eat unclean food. They chose to die rather than to be defiled by food or to profane the holy covenant. And they did die. Very great wrath came upon Israel. You tell me if that's an easy time to live in. It would be as if somebody came in, set up an altar in the United States of America and refused to allow us to worship, burned everything that we have, burned all of our Bibles, burned our homes if, and, and us with them if we didn't adhere and, and, and sacrifice to the idol that they set up. The idol that they set up on this altar was a statue of Zeus. That's, that was that, that idol that they set up. And everyone was supposed to worship that idol. And this man was so maniacal that he even had coins with his inscription on them that said, listen to this, King Antiochus, God manifest, bearer of victory. He claimed to be God manifest and yet called for them to worship and sacrifice not only to him but to this idol of Zeus that he had set up in the temple now, where does this leave us? 
Well, Matthew 24 says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, since we know a little bit of the history of the Jewish people, we also know that there had already been this abomination of desolation that had taken place, right? That had already happened. So a lot of people thought that this was the prophecy of Daniel being fulfilled. And there was a couple of times that this kind of thing happened where they thought that that prophecy of Daniel was being fulfilled. But what Jesus is pointing us to is he's saying, listen, that has not yet been fulfilled to the point where I'm talking about. Yes, this has happened, but there is a time coming when it's going to be even worse, is what he's telling us. He's letting us know that this would be a future thing. And we can also gain understanding from our apostles and what they thought of the teaching of Jesus Christ about the last days and the days of the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, they tell us, uh, tell, it, uh, the scripture here tells us concerning the day of the Lord in verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So there must be a revealing of the Antichrist, and his image must be set up first. And now let's look at what the Apostle John says in his revelation In Revelation 13, in verse 11, he says, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So in succession... We have Jesus telling us of the destruction of the temple, which will happen in future times to his death and resurrection. And this happens in 70 AD. That's the destruction of the temple. And then there will be an antichrist who will be revealed and have an image set up to be worshipped as he sets himself up over and above every other false god on earth and places himself in the seat of the temple of God, proclaiming proclaiming himself to be God. That's the succession. Now, the worship of the Antichrist will be worshipped straight from the hearts of mankind. Human beings, they will worship this beast. They will worship this Antichrist and his image. They will worship him in their hearts. The lost will all worship him and his image. 
setting himself up in the temple of God is a widely debated verse. It's widely debated because you think, oh, well, is there going to be another temple? Or what other temple are we talking about? Some view this as the church, as we are the temple of the living God. As Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, if he's going to say that he's going to set himself up in the temple of God, then I would surmise that he's going to set himself up in the hearts of human beings. The ESV commentary says that some interpret this as, uh, quote, as the heavenly temple. Some... uh, interpret this as the Jewish uh, or the Jerusalem temple. Some uh, interpret this and uh, and, uh, see it as a metaphor for supreme blasphemous arrogance modeled on the activities of Antiochus IV. In other words, we're going to see something like what we saw in Antiochus IV, and that's what I read to you from the history of the Maccabees. But the commentary admits, however, that whichever this is, this is going, there's going to be a definite or a, quote, concrete and observable act of abomination against God. And if you know what, want to know what I personally think, I, I, I think we will know it when we see it. That's what I think. I think there will be no mistaking it, that that is in a, an abomination of desolation, that it is an abomination to God, that somebody would set themselves up as God in the world that he would deny Christ, that he would deny our God, and that he would call everybody to worship him. I think it's going to be concrete and undeniable. That's what I think. I think that people are going to be deceived the world over, but the church will know what's really going on. That's what I believe. I believe that not one person in the true church of Jesus Christ will be deceived by this beast. I believe that God will protect the church will protect the elect from falling into the schemes of the Antichrist. I think he will. He has set us up with a guard and a seal over our hearts, namely the Holy Spirit himself. And the Holy Spirit himself is God, therefore cannot be deceived and cannot worship falsely the idols of this world. And this is what every believer in Jesus Christ has. If you've got the Holy Spirit, y'all, you've got great protection. And you've got a guard on your heart. All right, let's move forward. Now we hear a command from our Lord as to how believers should respond in such a time as this. Let's go to verse 15 again. So when you see the so when this happens, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, and let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea Flee to the mountains. There's the command. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. There's a command. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. There is the command. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. There's the command. So when you see this take place, because believers will be aware of this, there will be, it will be unmistakable to us because of the divine inspiration and leading of the Holy Spirit to show us the truth about who God is and what's taking place on the earth. When believers see it, drop everything and run and flee to the mountains. That's what this is saying. 
Jesus is calling them also to pray that their time of flight would not be in a time where anything would hold them back from following his direction. And it reminds us of the time that he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and told Lot and his family to leave and not look back. Remember that? says, listen, leave. Don't take anything with you. Leave. Don't look back. So he says, leave, go, flee, and let God take care of the rest. You think you need possessions to take with you? We don't need those. You think you need your cloak? You don't need it. You think you need your bag? You don't need it. You think you need your phone, your iPad? You don't need it. Drop everything and go. Even the one who's on the rooftop, don't go down and take stuff. Go from there. This is what he's saying. They were told to go and that God would take care of the rest. Our worldly possessions will weigh us down because our treasure remains in heaven, church. Our treasure is not in this world, amen? Our treasure is in heaven. Our treasure is set aside for us. Leave it all behind and go. This is a teaching for us here in our lives currently to leave the world behind and take up Christ and to flee into His arms for eternity. Amen? In fact, Christ's foretelling of the destruction of the temple could have also been linked to this statement because there's going to be a time coming future to them at that time in AD 70 when the temple is going to be destroyed. And at that time, there's evidence to support that Christians fled during that time in that war when uh, uh, Titus came in to destroy the temple, when he destroyed the temple, that not one Christian, there's evidence to support that not one Christian was killed, they fled during that time. Of all the people that were killed in that time and the destruction of the temple, that believers were not among them. So there's, there's, there's a link there that they, they, could, they could also take this as an instruction to flee when this great persecution uh, comes about. And the, the, the people who would have read this, because there's also evidence to support that this book, that Matthew would have been written and published at the time and circulating at the time that the Jerusalem temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Not only this, but the best option for the believer in these future times that Jesus foretells will be to leave. That will be the best option. And it will be plain to us. It will be clear to us. It will be unmistakable. It will come to us in the Spirit and we will heed this call. We will know it. The Holy Spirit will confirm it. I believe that. And He will let us know what to do. And among the many takeaways from this reading, I hope that you take away the love of Christ to provide eternal shelter and a place with Himself for those who believe. Do you believe that, church? That God provides a shelter in Himself for you. That no matter what persecution that you have to face in this world, no matter what persecution you have to face in your lifetime, that God provides shelter for you in Himself. That He wraps you up, He clothes you in His righteousness, He no longer looks at you and sees only the sinner, but looks at you and sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that you are covered and blanketed in His righteous blood, that you are covered forever, that your sins have been washed clean, that you are now white as snow in His sight, and so He protects you forever by drawing you in. God offers protection to people. And that protection comes by the grace of God, because of the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. 
This is a call and a time in our lives in this world to believe in Jesus. There are things going on in this world where we might say, I think this may be the beginning of the end. I think I'm seeing some of these signs of the times going on in the world. It is a really, it is a destructive time in our world right now. But no doubt, they also thought that back then. When they see somebody taking the, uh, 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 desolating and, and desecrating the temple by setting up a false idol right in the midst of it. And they were being persecuted. You, you, you listened to what I was reading in Maccabees, didn't you? That they hung children from their mother's necks. There is no... The depth of depravity that the human being can go to, can sink to, the depths, the depths, how deep, how deep is the depravity of man? How deep does it have to go for that kind of thing to take place, to hang children from their mother's necks? And I hate to keep saying that, but listen to me. This world is depraved and it does not contain the answers that you seek. This world is evil, and it does not contain the answers that you seek. There is only one who has all the answers that you seek, and that one is Jesus Christ himself. Please don't look to uh, the, the, the television or the government or your local officials or your governors or, or anybody else for the answers to life. I want you to look to Jesus for the answers to life. Because that's the only place you can find them. And listen, these men that have been abominable in, throughout the history, the course of human history. When no, remember when Noah and his family were on the earth? Not only were Lot and his family rescued and said, don't look back. And unfortunately, one of them did look back, didn't she? And she was turned to a pillar of salt. Not only were they told to leave and not go back, but Noah and his family were instructed to build an ark and leave, to build this giant ship with all these animals and to, 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 to start lining them up and putting them, up, putting them in, in, in pairs so they could repopulate the earth. And why? Because the earth was wicked and there was nothing but evil in the hearts of men and women all the time. That it was all evil all the time. I was reading something uh, by Martin Luther a, a, a long time ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago, that really stuck with me, and, and, and it talked about the, the, the depths of depravity of, of the human heart, how, 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 how much help that we need. I don't even think, well, I know actually, we have not even seen, we have not seen even the worst of humankind, of mankind. But there's going to be a time coming a tribulation when the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to set up this thing on the earth. And they're going to call everybody on the earth to believe and to worship this image of the beast. And they're going to do all these detestable things to people all over the world. And that we're not even going to be able to buy and sell without taking the mark of the beast. Nobody who, that means there's got to be something going on with the world economy, doesn't there? If you're not able to buy and sell without taking the mark, then there has to be some kind of economy that's going to be set up 
whereby you have to take a mark in order to operate in it. We have not even seen the depths of human depravity in this world, even though we've seen some depraved human beings. Adolf Hitler, depraved, amen? Mao, depraved, amen? Stalin, depraved, amen? The leaders of North Korea, depraved, amen? The Chinese government, depraved, amen? All that they're doing over there to Christians around, around their place right now, that they're taking down crosses in China. They're erecting images of their leadership and said, this is the ones you've got to worship. That's happening now in the world. Now, the depths of depravity of the human soul and the human heart, they can't even be measured. And that's what that takeaway from the writing of Martin Luther that I saw was. And I thought, man, if only I could be saved from that. Man, if only I could be taken from that. Man, if only somebody would rescue me from that. Man, if, if, only, if, if only somebody would, 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 would call me to himself so that I wouldn't have to go through that. And then through the reading of the scripture, I find out, oh, there is one who will rescue me from all of this. Who even if I have to go through that, and I, if I, if I, no matter what I have to go through, that I'm going to be protected and guarded, as Revel Revelation 3.10 says. That I'm going to be guarded against that. That I'm going to be kept from the hour of suffering, the hour of trial. And this is the hope for the Christian. As he writes to the church in Philadelphia in Revelation 3, that we will be protected, that we will be guarded against that hour. And that was a really good time to shout, church. We will be guarded and protected against that hour, as God tells us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. He is our God, and He will always hold us together. This is the hope that we have in life. That God is so good... That even though I, I, I fail in my life on a daily basis, even though I'm not the perfection that God is, even though I'm not as good as some of you, even though I'm not the best person out there in this world, even though I don't understand everything perfectly, because let me tell you something, through the reading of all this and all this study that I've been doing over the course of time to lead me to this place, there are still so many things that I don't understand. There are still so many things that remain a mystery to me. Because there are so many things that the Christian church and theologians and scholars have been debating for thousands of years to get to the meaning of them. And still there is no consensus or agreement on the meaning of certain things. When's the tribulation going to happen? When's the rapture going to happen? Is there going to be a rapture? Is it before the tribulation? Is it in the middle of the tribulation? Is it after the tribulation? Are believers going to have to go through the rapture? I mean, go through the tribulation? Is that seven years? Is that something that believers are going to have to go through? Or are we going to be rescued from it? Revelation 3.10 seems to say that we're going to be guarded from the time of, or from, from the hour of, of, of trial. But then this in Matthew 24 seems to say that we're supposed to flee to the mountains. Why do we have to flee if we're going to get rescued out of it? Why do they got to run? You tell me. It's hard stuff. Even though I don't understand it perfectly, I know that no matter what happens, 
Whether I'm raptured up or I gotta live through that seven years of hell, man, I got a God who's not gonna leave and He's gonna keep me from all the trial and the struggle that everyone else has to face because I'm gonna have a peace that surpasses all understanding and is gonna guard my mind and my heart in Christ. No matter what happens, I want you to know something this morning, church. God is for you, and if He is for you, who dare be against you? Let's pray. God, I love you so much, Lord. I pray that you would bring to our, our minds and hearts, Lord, an understanding of your word and your perfect will. I pray that you would bring us, Lord, peace in our hearts. I pray that you would guide us and direct us every step of the way in our lives, Lord, that we would be prepared and that we, we, we would prepare our families, God. Please, Lord, I beg you in Jesus' name to prepare your church, Lord. And to help us to prepare each other. Lord, hold us close, God. We need you, God. Oh, Lord, we need you so much. Lord, with everything going on in this world, God, we we pray that, that, that we would be held together and held tightly. Draw us in, God. Give us your wisdom. Help us to know what's right. Lord, I pray for every single person here and their families, Lord, that you would teach them what is right. That they would believe rightly, God. That they would know the truth about who you are, God. The truth, God. Please, God, give us the truth about you. Tell us who you are, Lord. Instruct us in our hearts. Give us, Lord, this, 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 this divine revelation from the Holy Spirit in our hearts to show us who you are, Lord, by the reading of Scripture. God, help us to stand fast and stand stand firm as the Jews did in those days of Antiochus, Lord. And they were killed because of it, Lord. Even if we are taken to our death and walked to our death, Lord, I pray that we would stand firm and that we would never renounce you, that we would be true believers and have a true faith that emanates from this heart. Help us to be bold, God, in our lives, to live for you and you alone. Oh, God, I pray, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen.